Hi, and welcome to Star Talk All Stars. I am your host, Natalie Starkey, and I'm joined today by Mo Welch. Hi. Nice to meet you. How is your journey here? It was, uh, I mean, my GPS had me go through an alley to a church stayed I was first time I was at church in quite a while <laughs> stayed in the parking lot for about 10 minutes and then Pasadena is weird everything's one way so I should point out we're in LA today filming at right. the Planetary Society in this gorgeous studio that we have I mean it's, it's just amazing I, like I just want to take this home with me and have it as my office <laughs> I know. it's gorgeous yeah so I I had a like three-hour journey here and then my car decided to break as soon as I got here so so it's been a little bit of stress but anyway that yeah. did stress me out because I saw a tow truck right when I got here and I'm like, I got to move out of this church parking lot. <laughs> they know that I don't go here. They will tow me immediately. My car's way too messy to go to church. Oh. Um, I just made up that theory. But that, that might be true. Luckily, I mean, weirdly, luckily it was your car, but I'm glad you're going to Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm yeah. messed up. Yeah. But, you know, there are worse places to be stuck than Pasadena. So it's good weather. So I'm like, okay, I'll maybe stay the evening. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're also joined here by... David O, who is at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory just up the road. So you've had probably a slightly easier journey than us. Oh, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. <laughs> I've been to JPL once and I got the tour. It was really cool. The coolest part to me was there was this like snack room where you guys like <laughs> can get a sandwich. And then isn't it just like uh, the honor system? I feel like my friend got a sandwich and then she just had to leave the money. And I'm like, who trusts their employees? This is incredible. <laughs> it's a, well, I think there are cameras everywhere. But nevertheless, oh, you trust okay. the employees. Yeah. And it I turns wasn't out when there. you're working on Mars rover missions, they just give you ice cream late at night to keep you awake. So Yeah, they actually a, a don't perk. want them to leave. They're like, here's the free food. Keep working on the mission. <laughs> I've got David here today because he is involved with the Psyche mission. Um, and this is going to be a mission that's going to go to an asteroid, actually a metal asteroid. Um, and it's going to launch in a couple of years' time. I want to talk about comets and asteroids in general today, um, mostly because I wrote a book about them. So bit of product placement here but um i love comets and asteroids i know um, i've been on this show previously and i have spoken a little bit about them before but i want to get into a bit more depth about why i care about them so much um and why i've written a whole book about them because that's kind of crazy um one of the things I start off in the book is that I talk about how insignificant humans are, which is sort of morbid, um, but it's how I see things. So I'm kind of like saying, we're not insignificant. We're really important. Humans have done quite a lot with the world. We've also done quite a lot of bad with the world, right? I mean, it's not so great climate change and all this business, but we'll set that aside for now. What I'm saying is that space really doesn't care about us. Okay, so if we look at comets and asteroids, they've collided with our planet loads of times in the past. We just have to look back to the dinosaurs and we know that Unfortunately, their demise, along with about 80% of the animals on the planet at the time, were killed off by probably an asteroid or comet impact. Now, if the same thing happened today, we're most likely to go really quickly because we're really sensitive animals. We're going to not cope with the atmosphere being ruined, with our water supplies being ruined. Other animals might survive a little bit better because they don't care to have clean water and things. So what I'm saying is space doesn't care about us. So what we want to know is like, are we going to be hit by a comet or asteroid in the future? But one of the other things I talk about in my book is like the Jekyll and Hyde nature of comets and asteroids, because they might have actually been responsible for delivering all of the ingredients for starting life to Earth. So they might have delivered water and they might have delivered organic material. Now, there's a huge amount of debate around that. Um, they certainly delivered it, I think, but whether they were responsible for us starting out on Earth is, is another matter. So we're kind of like 
do we want to fear these things or do we want to thank them for us being here? So one of the things I like to look at is like, okay, so what are we going to do if an asteroid is headed our way? And that's one of the things I discuss in this book. Um, how are we going to protect ourselves? Well, the only way we can do that is by studying these things because we need to understand more about them. Um, and that's actually something that you're working on, isn't it? You're looking at the Psyche mission and you're understanding this metal asteroid, also called Psyche, right? That's right. 16 Psyche, 16th asteroid ever discovered. Is it? Okay. Wow. And what kind of size is this asteroid? It's a big one. It's about uh, 150 miles in diameter. So it's about the size of Massachusetts. Okay. Um, and it's uh, based on ground observations. We believe it to be 90% made of metal, iron and nickel. So it's basically a world made entirely of metal. That's insane. Okay. And okay, so your role, I like, we were just chatting and your role in the mission, I like to say you're the mission architect. Okay. Because I just like that term, but actually <laughs> you're not, that's not exactly what you do. So what are you doing on this mission? So I'm the project system engineer, the lead, the lead technical system engineer for the mission. Uh, but I am also uh, the mission architect. I've been involved with it almost from the very beginning, back uh, four years ago, five years ago, when I started working with the PI, Dr. Lindy Elkins-Tanton, out at ASU. And uh, she and a couple of scientists at JPL had an idea about going to visit this metal world and try and figure out where it came from and what it was doing there. And so uh, we at JPL got to put together a team to try and take that idea and turn it into a mission that we could actually do, uh, something that we could go out and then solve these scientific questions. Okay, so we should probably take a step back and try and understand a little bit about where comets and asteroids come from. Mo, do you have any idea? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've already learned so much, but I'm I'm so excited uh, to learn. And I did watch a 10-minute video about you guys. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I guess I, I cheated a little bit. Okay. No, please educate me and uh, other people that don't know. <laughs> okay, so comets... I like to think of comets as the very earliest things that formed in the solar system. I mean, David knows this, but I'm going to tell him anyway. Um, and uh, so they basically, if we, when we formed our sun, um, we had this cloud of gas and dust around our young suns. So this was like four and a half billion years ago. And the comets and asteroids really just picked up a load of that gas and dust and ice that formed just around the young sun, but really far away from it. So they were very cold and they pretty much stayed the same ever since. They caught it. So they came together as a comet and haven't changed since. So what they allow us to do is if we look at them and sample them and analyze them, we can sort of understand where our solar system came from, like how everything formed. Now, the asteroids, on the other hand, they formed a tiny bit later. Um, but what they've sampled is the phase of planet formation. So this is obviously also a really important part of, of understanding our solar system. How did the planets come together? What were they made of? Um, you might say, oh, that's a really simple question to answer because we just look at a planet, right? We just go and look at Earth. We can probably figure out what it's made of. The problem is that the planets have sort of evolved since they formed. Um, we have plate tectonics, which I'm sure you've heard of. Everyone learns about that at school. The result of this is that you're resurfacing your planet the whole time. It's Earth is, in fact, the only planet to have plate tectonics. So it's it's sort of ruined the surface. It makes beautiful geology. It makes volcanoes and, you know, deep oceans. But the problem is we don't know what we started from. So if we look at asteroids, we can kind of go back. We can go, this is what the Earth started out like. So this is one of the reasons they're really useful. The other thing is that we can't get inside our planet. So we've all seen, like, 
the Hollywood movies. We're in LA. We always talk about Hollywood and the Hollywood movies love to kind of take science and do it not very well. So one of the movies I love is The Core. I don't know if you've seen it. Was it like late 90s or somewhere oh, wow. around then? I love that <laughs> That's movie. That's a throwback. <laughs> in The Core, they drill to the center of the earth. Have you seen it? No. Okay. I saw Armageddon though and I was curious what, what like scientists think of that movie. Yeah. Again, <laughs> there Great are some soundtrack. problems. Yeah. There are some problems. So the core they drill to the center of the earth, that's just not possible. It's not going to happen. So if we want to understand what's at the center of our planet, we can kind of indirectly look at it using geophysics. So we basically measure earthquakes to see how earthquake waves, these energy waves, travel through the interior of a planet. And then we measure them to work out what they've traveled through. So we see if they've gone through liquid or solid. We can work out if we have a metal core, um, what's going on in the mantle. Is it slightly squidgy? Is it liquid or solid? And so the earthquakes are really useful, but we can't actually see inside the planet. Um, the other way we can do it is by measuring asteroids because they, some of those formed in their early years in a similar way to Earth's early years. So if we can analyze those, we can start to understand how our own planet formed, um, which is hugely important. Now, one of the things I was wondering about is, okay, so what is psyche? How does that relate to um, to our own planet? Well, the theory that our, uh, our principal investigator has is that 4.5 billion years ago, when the planets were forming, um, the very first baby planets, the planetesimals formed, and then due to radioactive elements that were inside of these planetesimals as they formed, the centers of them started to melt, forming that molten core, which we're familiar with from the Earth. So that happened with these very small bodies. And uh, the theory with Psyche is that it was the inside of one of these small planetesimals, a molten core, and then it collided with other asteroids that were floating around because the early solar system was a very violent place and these collisions were happening um, all the time. So in a series of these collisions, the rocky part, the outside, was stripped off of Psyche, leaving just that metal core inside of it. Um, and that's how you end up with a metal world just floating there in space. You stripped off the core, and what you're left with is metal. And are you quite certain that is how it formed? Is there any other you know, explanation for how we might just get a blob of metal up there? Well, so the first thing is Psyche is a virtually unique object in the solar system. Okay. Uh, we only know of one. And the odds of these uh, hit-and-run collisions stripping off the rock are, uh, are slim. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's the best theory we have. Uh, there is another theory that maybe it's some form of primordial metal that just condensed out of the the. Uh, the the, the cloud that was around the solar system at the time, um, but I think that's considered a lot less likely. But one of the purposes of this mission is to go and find out whether this hypothesis is true. We've made a hypothesis, and now we can go test it. Okay, and how are you going to find – how are you going to figure this out? What kind of instruments have we got on board that we can kind of work out? Did it, is it the center of a planet or a planetesimal, or is it something else that formed maybe really close to the sun or something? Great question. So we, um, we're an orbiter. Um, we're not going to land on Psyche, but we carry three instruments with us. We carry a magnetometer. We carry something called a gamma-ray neutron spectrometer. Oh, wow. <laughs> which, uses, uh, gamma, which uses gamma rays which are emitted from the surface to tell what the elemental composition of the surface is. And then we carry an imager so we can actually look at it and see what it looks like. Uh, the magnetometer will tell us if the asteroid has a magnetic field. And if it does have a magnetic field, that's a very good sign that it was once inside a planet yeah. because planets form these magnetic fields as part of the dynamo. And as it cooled, it may have captured that magnetic field. Okay. If it doesn't have a magnetic field, 
It may still have been the inside of a planet. And the way we can tell that is using this fancy gamma ray spectrometer because <laughs> it can look at the composition of the surface and tell in particular how much of the surface is iron and how much of it is nickel. And by looking at the percentage of nickel, we can tell where it came from, whether it cooled from the outside in, whether it was part of a core, whether it was something that formed out of just the cloud itself. Wow, that's amazing. I can't wait. I'd love a sample of this thing as well. <laughs> you can grab some. That would be awesome. So I've worked on various missions um, in the last few years, and one of them is the NASA Stardust mission, which was really groundbreaking. And I want to talk about that a little bit. It's actually one of the chapters in my book. I gave it a whole chapter because I just love this mission so much. It was groundbreaking because it went to a comet, and it was the first mission to actually sample a comet and bring back material to Earth. Um, it didn't land on it. It actually just flew through like the tail of the comet. You know, as they go past the sun, and we form a tail because all the volatiles and there the ices get heated up and basically they're dragged off the comet as it flies by the sun. Um, so they collected some of this material and actually brought it back to Earth. And we learned so much by doing this. It's just, it's hard to emphasize how much we learn from actually going to these things in space. It's great that we can look at them with telescopes and study them, but until we get up close with these things, it's really hard to stress how important that is and how much we can really learn from them. And, and if we can bring some back, that's even better. But the problem with bringing material back from space is that it's pretty much two missions in one, right? You've got to get to something, you've got to land, possibly, although Stardust managed not to do that and, and, and still collected sample. But ideally, you'd want to land on the object, and then it's a second mission. You've got to get off it and come back to Earth. So it's not only expensive, but it takes a lot of time. And technically, it's, I mean, as an engineer, I'm sure you know that that's incredibly hard to do. But it's something we're actually working on doing at the moment. So we've got other missions that are launching. So we had the ESA Rosetta mission, which is the European probe that went to Comet 67P churyumov gerasimenko I like to try and pronounce that one. Um, that also has a chapter in my book because I worked on that mission as well and it's it's just phenomenal. They landed on a comet in space, which is just amazing. I mean, it's groundbreaking stuff. And what we found out from these missions is that we've got amino acids on comets. We've got So we've got the organic building blocks for life, which we always thought should be there, but we hadn't really had that proof. Without going to space and getting these samples, we needed that proof. Um, we also find out, obviously, comets have a lot of water. It's water ice, which is important for whether they brought stuff to the planet. And these comets can really help us to understand where everything came from. So whether we were delivered from space on a comet or not. Now, as I say, with the Psyche mission, we're doing slightly different things. We're trying to work out how our planet formed um, from the inside out kind of thing. How did it differentiate? This is this phase where we basically form our core and then our mantle. But it's still important in the great scheme of things, because if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be the planet that we are today. We wouldn't be able to host life and everything else that we have here. So I feel like, you know, this mission is just one in a huge set of missions we have going on at the moment, because we've also got OSIRIS-REx coming up. Um, that's going to be landing and collecting a sample of an asteroid. And we also right. have the Japanese Hayabusa mission, which is, um, I think, getting in, uh, it's actually arriving soon. Oh, it's arrived, right, at its at its asteroid. They have great pictures on the web right now. Great <laughs> pictures coming up. And it's this beautiful kind of, kind of, what would you call it? It's like slightly elongated in the it's middle. It's diamond shape. Yeah, diamond kind of shape. It's it's beautiful. And the pictures coming back are really clear now and it's just going to get better and better. And they're going to sample it again and bring some back to Earth. So there's so much going on in kind of the sample science at the moment, which is hugely exciting. But um, I don't know. Would you have anything to add about anything you were going to be finding out from the Psyche mission? Well, you know, I'd love to be able to get a sample back from Psyche. But <laughs> we, we know so little about metal worlds because we've never visited anything like it before. We don't know what it looks like. We right. don't know whether the surface is hard or soft. We don't know 
any of these things. So, so that's why we can't go and get one right now. We, we just need to do the first exploration, get the first pictures, and, and learn what a metal world looks like. Um, but does it have big spires? Does it have big canyons? These are all things that we don't know. Once we do that, we can look at trying to bring samples back. But I'll leave a thought also, which is that we do have metal meteorites here on Earth. Mm -hmm. And some of those meteorites may have come from Psyche. We, of course, don't know that because we haven't visited Psyche. But if we can go to Psyche and we can get these elemental signatures and whatnot from it from orbit, we may be able to identify meteorites that are here on Earth, which once came from Psyche. So that's almost like we have a sample return. It's just got here on its own. Mother Nature (laughs) gave us some samples. Possibly. Possibly. Possibly, We'll have to see when we get there. And then then we have a sample we can analyze you know amongst all our other samples and we have then the spacecraft data to to relate it to so it's kind of like piecing together the story and then trying to put together what we know about these things we've got actual analysis on earth and the chemical stuff you've got the chemical stuff from the spacecraft so it's putting together that story it's, we're solving the cosmic puzzle right we have I these pieces it. and figure out how they all go together how do you get a sample without landing well, there, there's lots of different ways, actually. The way that um, the recent, well, the missions that are kind of going now, like Hayabusa and OSIRIS-REx, they're sort of doing a touch and go. So they're going to get there and be in orbit around these things, but they're going to sort of kind of go and grab a sample. I think they get a few attempts at doing it right, because there was a, a previous Hayabusa mission, um, which I don't want to say it failed. It didn't fail at all, but some stuff went wrong and they didn't get as much sample as they wanted because it was this touch and go mechanism. It's, it's being tried out for the first time. So they didn't really know how it was going to work they got samples and they're tiny tiny dust mm-hmm. samples which was great because i work on tiny dust samples so everyone all the scientists were like oh no we didn't get big rocks and i was like brilliant i can work on these so but moving forward you know ideally you'd want to land and be able to do kind of almost like rover operations like we might do on mars eventually but i guess that's going to be much harder because we don't have an awful lot of gravity on these objects because they're very small now there are different classes of objects too though so these touch and goes are on very small asteroids we can basically hover over the surface psyche and ceres and vesta are worlds of their own you can't just hover over the surface you have to orbit you have to land you have to take off again using a rocket so that that's a completely different class of problem Mm -hmm. getting getting samples back from those big worlds So we're going to be right back in a minute with StarTalk All-Stars and we're going to be taking your cosmic queries. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm your host, Natalie Starkey, and I'm still here with Mo Welch still and here. David O. Hello, Natalie. We're going to jump straight into some cosmic queries now. So you're going to put us in the hot seat and we can see if we can answer these questions. Yes, totally. So the first question is from Patreon from Kyle Ryan Toth. He says there, there seems to have been a lot of surprise asteroids coming fairly close to Earth. Are we doing enough to track potentially hazardous space rocks? If not, what can we, the public, do to help? That's a good question. That is a very good question. And I just want to stress straight away is that I love talking about comet and asteroid impacts, but they're not actually very common, not big ones anyway. So actually, there have been quite a few asteroids that have been close to Earth recently, but it's not very close. They're not causing us any harm. They're not about to. It looks like we're safe for the next about 100 years. So we should all be good unless you're planning to live, you know, well into your hundreds. Then I think we're going to be all right. Um, There is always the chance that there's some rogue asteroid or comet out there that we haven't seen that we don't know is on its way here. But that is 
pretty unlikely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the scientists are working on figuring out where all these objects are around us in our in our near space and then figuring out where they're going to be in the future. And so it looks like we're okay. Um, so I think in terms of stuff hitting us in the future, we're sort of okay. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen past that 100-year time frame. Right. So, you know, our descendants, if we want to care about the world we're leaving behind, this is partly why we want to study these objects because we want to find out you know, more about them, understand what they're made of so that we can then try and work out what to do if one is coming towards us. A bit like Armageddon. Yeah, so, get the drill. Know, yeah, we call send up Bruce, Bruce Willis's yeah. great-grandchildren. And Ben Affleck, and <laughs> yeah. we get them up the there. Yeah. <laughs> and NASA does have a Planetary Defense Coordination Office. We do, job yeah. it is to pull together these observations of asteroids and things coming through and make sure that the public knows about it and the scientists know about it. And there are missions proposed to go out and try and find all the near-Earth asteroids that they're, right. they're observe them and make sure that we know where they all are. So this is all part of NASA's mission. Okay, this next one's from Facebook. Sean Caldwell asks, in your book, you speak of asteroids and comets forming at the beginning of the solar system and then bringing windows into this period of creation. They've moved in and out of the system as the planets have moved as well. Is it possible that they've picked up materials created later as they've relocated? And if so, are you worried about the contamination of the older materials? Okay, so yeah, that's a good that is a good question because they have moved around. So when we think the, astro- uh, the comets formed way out in the solar system, it's actually not that simple. You know, we, I, I don't want to oversimplify, but that's sort of what we always say. They formed in the very cold outer reaches, but actually some formed quite a bit closer to the sun, possibly as close as some of the asteroids. And then they were sort of thrown out to the outer solar system. So what we see in the outer solar system, and this is one of the things that, you know, the New Horizons mission is looking at, and it's kind of going out there into the, the Kuiper Belt, as it's called, which is where we've got Pluto and all these other little icy objects and it's looking at what's there because we really don't know at the moment we don't know where that star formed if everything formed where it is or whether it sort of formed closer in and moved out and it's the same with the asteroids which are now in the asteroid belt between mars and jupiter um we think mostly those are rocky asteroids formed close to the sun but sure enough they're not all rocky some of them are icy so they kind of look like comets and we're like how do where do they come from so the whole science of this is complex we've got to model how we think the early solar system formed how all the large planets formed and how they moved early on and what they did because if you take jupiter and you move it around it's such a large planet it's going to sort of scatter things all over the place because these comets and asteroids are tiny in comparison so in terms of moving around they it will happen very early so what i'm saying is that they probably didn't pick up contamination as such um, but they will have recorded that history so when we analyze them we can probably try and pick that apart i want to i'm probably saying we can do more than we actually can but that's what we try to do we try to analyze their chemistry and then understand where they've been in the solar system Mm -hmm. using lots of different isotope systems and element systems and trying to figure out you know what their history is so Yeah, they have moved, but and then when they come now into the inner solar system, particularly comets, they get altered as they come in because they get heated up. So they're losing volatile material all the time. So this is changing them as as they move. So what we see now, if you've got a comet that's gone past the sun a lot of times, it's going to have been kind of dried out a little bit because it's going to have lost some of that mm-hmm. material. So yeah, th- there's a lot to understand. They're really complex. And one comet is not like any other. I, I would say there's going to be no two comets that are exactly the same. We need to kind of sort of analyze so many of them to understand where we came from so yeah great question wow okay this next one from instagram it's from d dot e dot e dot p underscore u underscore (laughs) uh what is the most interesting thing about asteroids oh 
Do you have anything for this? What is the most interesting mm. thing? Or, you mm-hmm. know, in your opinion. We're probably going to say completely different things. But <laughs> No, well, I actually always like to think of them as the, the remnants, the fossils of the formation of the solar system. They give us those clues as to what what's out there. Um, now, being an engineer, I also think of them as a possible resource, right? People talk about going out and mining asteroids, and people talk about going out and, uh, well, you could imagine if we can get water from asteroids, we can take that and break it down and get oxygen, we can get rocket fuel. There are all sorts of things that we can do with it once we get out there. So I see it as, as both, this history of the solar system and then this future resource, this this thing that we have that we can use to be able to go out and explore the solar system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I literally, that would have been my answer. So, yay, right. we agree. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That was my answer, too. <laughs> Glad we're all on the same page. Okay, this is from Facebook, Brian Washed. What would be the consequences of a large asteroid hitting the moon? What would the collision look like to us? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so I would say, depends how large we're talking. Because the moon is kind of small, particularly in relation to the Earth. If it was a very large impact, I mean, yeah, it could completely obliterate the moon, but that would have really bad consequences for us. Um, really bad consequences. Really big that would be really big. A smaller impact, well, I guess we might be able to see it. I'd, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing. There, there are some people who think that there was a, uh, an impact, relatively young impact on the moon that was actually seen in human mm-hmm. history. There's some recordings of people seeing a big bright flash. Oh, and I wow. Think when, they, uh, when they went and they, they took pictures of the moon later, they could see relatively young, big crater in that area. Um, but I think that was pretty much it. Just turns into the stuff of legend, I guess. Okay. I mean, I'm guessing. I'm just thinking aloud here. If there was a really large object coming, it would probably hit us and not the moon, right? Because we're bigger. We're going to be. We have more gravity. Um, I think it depends on what yeah. direction it's depends coming where from. It's going. But if it was going to hit the moon, going. it would probably end up colliding with us, or we'd get the fallout anyway. So yeah, right. really large. We don't want that to happen. Or the but moon again, could even deflect it and send it back out. You never know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Lots of options. <laughs> uh, okay, from. Ben Ratner um, at Ben Makes TV on Twitter replying to Star Talk Radio. Um, are you personally offended that Lucky Charms doesn't feature a comet? Uh, they have both stars and blue moons. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. I don't eat them, though. So they don't have a comet? I'm not offended. They don't. I'm shocked. I know. They don't have a comet? I think I just learned that right well, now. There we go. I have no idea. But you guys should not be eating these cereals that are full of sugar. <laughs> No, I mean, if you want to eat them, it's fine. But like, no, I'm, I'm going a bit crazy about this because I have a small child now. Right. And I'm like, right, there's no sugar. There's no sugar. But it's impossible. It's in everything. Yeah. I'm I like, yeah. like, what is, is Kashi even has sugar? It's, it's in everything. It's in the, stuff, the stuff that like I avoid at the cereal aisle because I'm like, that looks dry. Like that even has sugar. But if I take a Lucky Charm and I throw it close to the sun and it starts evaporating, it yeah. gets a little tail, then it yeah. is a comet. It's a comet. Yeah. Okay. It's a comet. We should test that. That should be your next mission. I'll, I'll take that up with NASA. <laughs> yeah, let's write them a letter. Let's get asteroids in there, too. Lucky Charms doesn't. I mean, it, if they're going to be the science serial, which obviously they are, they have a leprechaun. It's all scientific. And they need to get all of these marshmallows, in my opinion. I agree. And I just walk out right now. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, will these... Uh, okay. W-I-L underscore N-3-R-D... <laughs> Okay. So there's your shout-out. Uh, <laughs> will nerd. Yes. Um, okay. From Instagram, what is the main impediment to mining asteroids? I want a poop load of gold. Yeah, okay, well, they, yeah, 
I guess platinum is the major expensive precious metal. Is that correct? Mm. From most platinum is in the asteroids. And yeah, gold. And we have so their packs are particularly like psyche. I mean, do we know? I read somewhere that it was what it was worth. Is it like something trillion dollars? I mean, oh, I think I think somebody. I think our PI said it was ten thousand quadrillion dollars. Quadrillion. That's mostly dollars. that's mostly iron, and of course that's a theoretical number because yeah. if you ever brought that much iron back, then you would uh, you would collapse the iron market pretty quickly we'd have to like yeah. store it like diamonds and release it gradually and be like you can have this little piece of psyche and then you know it's going to be costing you this much money and then we're going to store the rest underground somewhere and you can't have it but yeah basically these asteroids are just packed with pressure they are just made of wow. metals so and they've got all the precious metals they've got i think more than we really potentially more than we've ever mined on the planet so there's some advantages to going to these things if we wanted to mine them um but yeah there are issues bringing this stuff back not just the economy but also just technologically bringing stuff back it's kind of hard um but they are packed with stuff so you know it might be that in the future we kind of need to go to space to get these materials if we want to keep on using our cell phones and we want to keep on using all our advanced technologies that rely on these precious metals mm-hmm. um some people say that, you know, without space mining, we might get to the stage where we stop developing technologies because we can't rely on what we've got on Earth because there is just a finite amount. Whereas in space, there's lots of it. So we can kind of go out there and be like, oh, we need a bit more of this metal and we can make this amazing vehicle, whatever we're going to be using, flying car in the future. But we need this this much metal. So we might be able to go and go, right, we're going to go to Psyche and grab some of it. Um, obviously, there's lots of issues on trying to mine in space, but... It isn't science fiction anymore. It is kind of happening. Um, There is huge leaps being made into this area at the moment. I have a whole chapter in my book on this if you want to know some more. Um, I think it's hugely exciting because I think, you know, these missions that are going up at the moment that aren't going to mine asteroids like OSIRIS-REx, Hayabusa, all these other missions and even Psyche, it's looking at those first tentative steps of how we get to these objects, how we understand what they're made of, and then how we get a sample back. Um, and that's sort of the first steps into mining. We want to drill into these things. We're going to have to separate metals from each other. There's a lot of technological issues, but these missions are sort of paving the way. Mm-hmm. And then once we get into more reusable rocket technology, which is obviously happening at the moment, that's, I mean, going very quickly at the moment, we need all these things to come together. And then I think... Possibly within 10, 20 years, we might start to look at seriously mining these objects, which I think has a whole load of issues. Um, (laughs) uh, But, you know, we'll leave that to the politicians and, you know, the space engineers to figure out. But it's very exciting that we could be bringing stuff back. Who knows? Yeah, I will say that will be a movie that I would watch. Would be <laughs> Asteroid Heist, starring the Ocean's Eight cast. That would be great. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll also say later. if you want to build large scale things in space, it is uh, probably a lot easier to build them using stuff that started in space and to try and bring it all back up from the surface of the Earth. That's hard enough, right? Mm-hmm. So if you ever want to build a Death Star, you need to go get your iron from somewhere. Okay, that better that's, to use the iron that's out there. I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Serena Hartel from Instagram. I am a Canadian 16-year-old and my dream job is to look at and talk about space rocks while also working to help the environment. How would I best go about doing that and what advice could you give me? Oh, yay, someone like me. (laughs) I'm not the only one. Um, Well, keep studying. If you're 16, keep studying science at school. Um, And don't be put off because I know I was put off at 16 from studying physics because I thought it's just for boys and it turns out it's not. It's for girls as well. So I'm really annoyed with myself, my 16-year-old self, for choosing to drop physics. So, you know, I did chemistry, math, and I did um, geology 
and luckily I did because I love geology um but you know keep on studying and don't be put off you've got to work hard Mm -hmm. but you know that's really the only way but I would also say keep your mind open because you know I didn't really know at 16 what I wanted to do but I knew I wanted to be in science um so I think you know I've gradually got to where I am today in space science but it was sort of unexpected I didn't know I was going to be doing this so I think keep your mind open and and try and find in turn opportunities and yeah things do you have any advice well it's i don't think you ever go wrong by studying science and math if you like it Mm -hmm. um because you know using those using those tools and the things you learn um you may end up as a scientist or you may end up as an engineer or you may end up as a space lawyer we have space lawyers you may end up as a journalist you may end up as all sorts of things just it's it's not something that you'll regret if you stick out stick it out and do it i agree yeah and if all else fails, you can be a comedian. <laughs> all right, Ben McCorder from Instagram. Hey, Star Talk. What is your favorite comet to study, and why? Oh, it's easy. Comet sixty-seven P, Churyumov-Gerasimenko. <laughs> it's the Rosetta comet, um, and actually, there's plans um, that they might be going back to this comet um, to actually get a sample, which would be just absolutely amazing. Um, it's not an approved mission yet, but they're talking about. It. I think we hear next year whether that's going to happen. Um, it's just amazing. It's such a beautiful comet. We got such amazing pictures of it from the Rosetta mission. Like they spent months mapping the surface of this thing and up to incredible detail on its surface um, and it's just the most beautiful thing I just love it and the fact that we've landed something on it and there's a little lander still sat there and it's just travelling through space um, and actually the orbiter is actually sat on it as well because they sort of crash landed it into it it's just that's my favourite one I don't know if you <laughs> if you've got one I think I'm more of a planets and moons guy oh. actually because I spent a lot of time working on the Curiosity Mars rover yeah. I spent yeah, seven years working on that so I have, have a week to get you back to talk about that <laughs> heart for Mars and in Solidus. Okay. It's just very cool. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so we're going to be back after a short break with Startup All Stars. Welcome back to Startup All Stars. I am still your host, Natalie Starkey. I'm joined by co host Mo Welch and David O from JPL. Hello, so Natalie. we have more cosmic queries. Great. Okay, let's get into it. Um, yeah, it's underscore Ryan from Instagram. If you could get any space-themed tattoo, what would it be? <laughs> That's so good. I don't have any. Do you have any? Do you guys, you've got some, haven't you? I mean, I've got, yeah, I've got like a circle. It's a planet. I could say that's a planet. Maybe it's the moon. This is just uh, some asteroids. Okay, yeah. Four dots. And this is just a maze. So I guess that's the universe. I haven't got one, but our PI has one and our deputy PI has one. Are you going to join them? I wasn't planning on it. Oh, you should. But we'll see. So they've got got the asteroid? They've got different psyche asteroids. A whole bunch of the team has put in either psyche asteroid or one has a tattoo of the goddess psyche, the Greek goddess it was named after on his shoulder. That is commitment to the job, isn't it? Oh, that is. a pretty committed team. It's a pretty committed you have to, team. Yeah, you have to love your job. You've got to that. join them. I, w- I want to see this. I, yeah. I have to maintain my engineering independence. Oh, I think okay. that's the, it's important to do that. I'm going to get a lower back comet tattoo. Just a comet. Yeah, just on my lower back. I'm going to bring back, I'm going to bring some grace to the lower back tattoo. I like that. I, you know, I've never even thought about having one, which, right. yeah, I don't know, but would I get one? I don't know. I like the comet. It would be nice. If, but only if it was done well. I see so many of those things online where they're like, tattoos so I'm like, <laughs> oh no I saw one today where this woman had like stars across her chest but it just I mean it looked 
it wasn't at all. And yeah. I, I think I'm too scared. I'm not brave enough to have tattoos. No, it is scary. I stopped getting them for that reason. <laughs> I, I don't regret these yet, but I know the next one is, I, I am going to regret them. <laughs> They're regrettable, but you know, I like the, I like the idea of loving your job so much you get a tattoo. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, John underscore Odom, uh, nope, in, from Instagram. Hi, <laughs> I'm having a really hard time reading these. Hi, John Odom here. What is the reality of being able to slow an asteroid down that has a trajectory that will collide with the Earth or a close flyby and then mining it while it's in orbit? Wow. Okay. So if something was headed for us, I think the least of our worries would be, oh, let's mine it because, you know, we need more metals on Earth. What we want to do is deflect it or destroy it first. So the problem with these things is that we sort of need a lot of notice. Um, At the moment, we don't have a mission plan that could go up and do anything about an object heading to us. So I think the estimates are like we need about 10 years notice minimum to kind of plan a mission, get it there, and then do something about it. So again, Armageddon-style things, we we actually could, you know, detonate an explosive on it to destroy the thing so that either it deflected it away or it broke up into small pieces that rained down to Earth that didn't really cause us a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you could deflect it by kind of pushing it with a spacecraft. There's various ways to do that, but deflect it away so that it just misses the Earth. And I think that would be all we'd care about at the time. We'd be like, we need to save planet right. Earth. Um, and I think the interesting thing about this is there are quite a few countries working on it as we were mentioning before it's the kind of field of planetary defense but it's a global issue and I feel like we're not quite there yet not everybody's on board with the fact that we probably do need to start planning this now because as I said it's not going to affect us but our descendants are Mm -hmm. potentially going to be affected by this you know humans have not been here very long and the earth has been here a very long time so if we're hit by something that's going to be fine but we're probably not so if we want to keep humans on the planet for a lot longer which i do i'd like us to be here and hopefully fix the planet a bit before we depart um we need to work out what we're going to do about these things and and it does take a lot of planning um but yeah this is why we go with the missions like psyche because we need to understand what these things are made of you know you're probably not going to blow up a mass asteroid are you i don't know i don't think we are but. it's not going to be very easy but if something is like a comet made of ice and gas and dust it's probably going to be easier to explode in space so we need to understand what they're made of before we go there we need mm-hmm. to know how we're going to destroy it or deflect it because if you some asteroids are literally like a rubble pile they're not really consolidated they're not held together very well they're just like a, a pile of rocks essentially so if you start pushing that in space you really don't know what's going to happen you might just break up this pile of rocks and create more of a problem for the planet than if you just left it so i think i think we engineers feel that deflections more shall we say controlled and yes that's what we like I exploding think things a little bit uncontrolled that's like last case scenario right we'd right. be like okay we have a couple of years let's just go and set off a nuclear bomb next to it and hope that it just disappears <laughs> right <laughs> but there are some issues with that we don't really want nuclear stuff in space raining down on planets so yeah so many issues but w- this is why they're working on it at the moment because we sort of need a plan in place um, yeah. in case there is something coming so but don't worry we'll be okay we'll be fine <laughs> we'll hopefully. be fine <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. These are actually questions about the psyche mission. So, um, Tori from Twitter at Zazed, could you elaborate on the makeup of metals in the asteroid being targeted for the psyche mission and what will NASA do with this information? So we believe psyche is mostly made of iron 
and nickel. And as I think I mentioned earlier, by telling how much nickel is in there, we can tell uh, how it was created, where it came from, and what it's doing there. Uh, we'll also look at other minerals on the surface because that uh, neutron spectrometer and gamma ray spectrometer will let us get all sorts of different elements off of it. Uh, that largely is about trying to understand what rocky materials that may have settled on the surface look like. And from that, again, we can learn where the asteroid came from, when it formed, and what it's doing there. So we're a very science-focused mission. We're really about why it's there and where it came from. Taylor Tebby from Instagram what is the significance of determining whether Psyche was formed under more oxidizing or reducing conditions than Earth's core? Oh, good question. Because that's it? one of your mission aims, right? That is one of the mission aims. I think it just tells us about the history of the solar system. And I think it tells us a little bit about where it formed in the solar system. Because as Natalie mentioned, the asteroids have moved around since they formed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'd have to ask our PI for more more than that. So I think one of the things is understanding how whether our own planet formed um, in an oxidizing or reducing atmosphere. So this this means like did was there oxygen around? Meaning, does our core now contain oxygen? Now it doesn't seem like very important, but if you've got a load of metals down there, they're very heavy. Um, we don't know if there's some light elements in there. When scientists look at our planet and work out its density and what we think is in it, they think there's some missing elements. They think there should be some light elements in the core. Now, one of those could be oxygen. It's a light element. But we don't know because obviously we can't get there and actually measure it. Um, There's lots of other ways to try and figure this out. But a good way is to look at these things in space because we can start to see how they formed. So it's really measuring these light elements. Are they there at all? Um, And that tells us about, again, the environment of formation and how how some of the other planets form because earth isn't the only planet to have a core you know all the terrestrial planets segregated into these into this shape as well um so we're understanding how they all formed in relation to each other so it's it should hopefully shed some light on that um, and then help us figure out what's going on in earth we do think there's light elements down there weirdly it, it's kind of counterintuitive because you think all the heavy elements should have sunk to the middle of the planet and all the light elements are left in the crust um like the silicon and oxygen but but we think there's some down there. So it's it's interesting. It will. I, I'm excited about that. So we'll see what happens. We'll give us our direct measurements in a way you can't ever get at Earth. Yeah. Great. Austin Greeley at Grizzly Austin from Twitter. It has been said that researchers think that 16 Psyche is the core of a planetesimal. Planetesimal. I said that right. Yeah. Is that a baby planet? What you it's guys? A baby, a baby planet. planet. Yeah. Planetary oh, embryo. That's so sweet. <laughs> uh, what evidence is there to support this? That it was a planetesimal? Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things is just its size, right, and the fact that it's there. Um, As I mentioned, by going there and by looking at the metal composition, we can tell whether it was once inside of a forming planet. A magnetic field is basically a sure sign that it was once inside of a planet because that's where magnetic fields come from, from the insides of planets. Um, So that's the evidence we have. We could be wrong, of course, and the whole reason we're flying the mission is to discover whether we're right or wrong. Um, If it wasn't a planetesimal, then actually the mystery of how it formed is even bigger um, because there are not many other theories of how it could have formed and nevertheless it would be there. So we're excited to find out. Okay, uh, Kelia Silvis from Patreon. Uh, How common are metal asteroids like 16th Psyche? Will NASA be able to generalize the findings of the Psyche mission to many asteroids in the solar system or is it anticipated to be more of a unique case study? So there are a whole class of metal asteroids in the solar system, but none of them are anywhere close to the size of Psyche. Psyche is by far the biggest of them. And that really makes it a 
unique body in the solar system. Um, these, if it formed by virtue of these collisions that stripped off the rocky mantle, it's a series of improbable events that did it, right? A collision that went the right way, another collision that happened to hit a glancing blow. So these are all the types of things which are just, which make it completely unique. Um, it really is, it's the only metal world in the solar system. And it's one of the few worlds we can go out there and really we're seeing for the first time what it's like, just like in the old days when we first went to Mars or first went and saw Jupiter. It's proper exploration. It is, absolutely. I do have a burning question. I've wondered forever. Um, Are all of the the asteroids and comets from our solar system? That is a great question because actually recently we had this like interstellar visitor um, and it's called Oumuamua, apparently. I think I've said it right and I'm sorry to all our Hawaiian listeners if I've said that incorrectly, but Wikipedia tells me it said Oumuamua. And it was this cigar-shaped asteroid um, which kind of transited through our solar system. Now it was going so fast that actually it can't have come from within our solar system. Um, And it came from kind of elsewhere, another star system. And the closest one is called, I need to just check my notes, what it's called, Epsilon Eridani. I think that's how you say it. (laughs) <laughs> Apparently, they use it a lot in, in sci-fi because it's on like nearest star system that might have kind of bodies on it that might have life. We like to say this in sci-fi. But uh, it could have come from there, but it could have come from anywhere. And actually, when they backtrack it to where it came from, they have no idea because the whole galaxy has kind of moved in that time. So it was just shooting through our solar system. Initially thought it was a comet, but then they figured out it might probably is an asteroid and it's just shot past the sun. In fact, it was going so fast, the sun couldn't even capture it. So we had no time to launch a mission and go and and look at it or anything. But it's exciting that actually we could one day, if we could see this thing coming, not only can we understand our own solar system, we can actually sample things from elsewhere without actually having to go there. So this is why comets and asteroids are so amazing because they can tell us so much, not just about our worlds, but elsewhere yeah gotta get some gopros on the sun (laughs) that's right okay so this is a question from my radar app um it's from mike b and he asks do the comet dust particles you study affect clouds weather or climate could the atmospheres of exoplanets be obscured by cloud layers like on venus could the this is a three-part question okay (laughs) (laughs) the atmospheres of exoplanets be obscured by dust storms like on mars Oh, wow. Okay, so the first part, let's just yes, break let's that down. The, do the comet dust particles you study affect clouds, weather, or climate? So, with yeah, partly. Um, mostly, no. Um, they rain down. They're very small particles. They just rain down imperceptibly, and we can sample them with high-flying spa- um, aircraft, and you know, they're literally like a tenth of the width for human hair. So they're very small, and they're not that there's not that many of them um so they don't really affect it but what we do get is the zodiacal light um which is actually created by this kind of cloud of dust that um we kind of see in the night sky you see it um at kind of sunset i think at some times of year and and it's this kind of glow you get in the night sky google it it's beautiful um Mm -hmm. i've never seen it personally i don't think but i'm not an astronomer so i'm not very good at that kind of stuff but it can affect the light that we see sometimes which is pretty awesome um the second part was on other planets uh obscured by cloud layers like on venus okay so venus has a very thick atmosphere but that's not dust it's actually carbon dioxide mostly um so it's got this very very thick horribly dense atmosphere which means that you know life just 
cannot survive. It's crushingly dense and it's also very hot um, because you've got this carbon dioxide layer, which makes it, it's like a massive greenhouse effect. Um, so I don't think there's so much dust creating that. It's more to do with the gases that the volcanoes have pumped out over time. So that's probably why how Venus got its horribly dense atmosphere. And it actually means that we can't really see the surface of Venus with, you know, normal cameras or anything. Um, so exploring Venus is exceptionally hard because if you want to send something to the surface, there's not many instruments that are going to survive those conditions. Um, and we can't see it from the outside because of this very thick cloud cover. So Venus, you know, it's one of our neighbors, but it's exceptionally hard to study, even though it's so close. Okay. And then the third part was, um, could they be obscured by dust storms like on Mars? That was a question about exoplanets, right? Could the atmospheres of exoplanets be obscured by dust storms like on Mars? I'm, I'm guessing so, yeah. I'm I not, don't see why not. I'm not even sure we've ever confirmed an exoplanet has an atmosphere. No. I think we, we guess that they probably do, but uh, we're still trying to come up with the missions that can actually tell whether they have atmospheres or not. But I'm going to say probably that they do. I don't see why not. There's so many planets out there. So I think probably there's every chance that that could happen. Okay, well, that is the end of the show today. Thank you so much for listening. I am Natalie Starkey. You can find me on Twitter at Starkey Stardust and on Instagram. Um, you can also buy my book, which is called yes. Catching Stardust. It's all about comets, asteroids, and the birth of the solar system. There's pictures in the middle, There's too. There's pictures. Yes. I know you can just buy it for the pictures if you want. <laughs> um, and I want to thank uh, David O, my guest today from JPL. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. You've been a, um, a wealth of yeah. information. Am about I supposed Psyche. to give a Twitter handle, too? You, if you have yes. one. Any, okay. any at all. At it's, Twitter. Fine. Uh, it's at Mars Timer Dad. No E in there. T I M R Dad. Thank you. And my co host, Mo Welch, thank you so much for coming thank and joining you. us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Mo Mo Welch. I draw a comic a day. So if you like to look at art, you can look at it. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. 